0: Yale Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Yale University Press Podcast. I'm Jessica Hollihan, and I'm delighted to introduce my guest, Evelyn Hankins, Senior Curator at the Hirshhorn Museum and Sculpture Garden in Washington, D.C. I asked Evelyn to join me to talk about a site-specific commissioned installation currently on view at the Hirshhorn, a work titled Pickett's Charge by the artist Mark Bradford. Evelyn worked with the artist on the installation and is co-author of an accompanying book, Mark Bradford Pickett's Charge, which Yale University Press published in association with the Hirshhorn Museum. Evelyn, thanks very much for joining me today.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Can you first tell us a little bit about the history of these site-specific commission projects at the Hirshhorn and how you and the curatorial team decided to approach Mark Bradford?
1: Um, this is part of an initiative that was um, instigated by uh, Melissa Chu, who came on board I guess almost about four years ago as director. The Inner Circle Galleries on the second and third floor um, have traditionally been a space for a small-scale pedestal-based sculpture, in part because of their configuration and the light exposure and um, a terrazzo floor that makes it difficult to put floor-bound sculpture there. So when Melissa came in, she suggested we find new ways to rethink those spaces and we did what museums often do and we went to artists to have them solve our problems and so (laughs) mark is one of a number of artists who we've invited to do projects i think he was the third in the series and we invited mark one because i think he's one of the most important artists working today in his you know unique way of bringing together the history of abstraction and the current political moment but um we also thought that he would leverage the platform of the National Mall in a way that other um, artists might not. I mean, one of the things about the Hirshhorn is that we are the only contemporary art museum on the National Mall. Mm-hmm. So that gives us a unique position for artists in thinking about the kinds of projects they want to do.
0: Yeah. A number of the articles that have been published about the exhibition have referred to uh, Bradford's Pressions—that that is the project, this project was started and and underway in the final years of Barack Obama's presidency. Um, But the piece, which we can get into more detail about in a minute, um, does seem to be in dialogue with uh, some of the public and political discourse since the end of Obama's presidency, conversations about race in America and concerns over the presence or the removal of Confederate military statues and memorials, Um, did the changing administration and the shift in the political atmosphere have any effect on your conversations with Bradford as the project was in process?
1: Well, absolutely. And like you said, the project was in process for two to three years before it actually opened um, in November 2017. Um, I think the kinds of issues that Mark is exploring, political, racial, and economic, and even geographical divides are not necessarily just of this moment, especially someone like Mark Bradford, who's always thinking about history. So for him, I think he's thinking about divides that have existed in our nation for centuries. So while he seems particularly prescient I think and he is in some ways I think he has his ear to the ground and has a sense of what's going on the piece I think is powerful because it not only talks about the current moment but again about larger issues and and kind of um Challenges that the nation has grappled with for centuries, um, and of course, with the Confederate Monument controversy developing, we had a very different sense of conversation. but you know again, I think his project has been so um, well received because it asks really big questions you know about history and who gets to tell history and how we tell history and how we as a nation want to want to be and so I think for that reason. He he really is um talking about again about larger issues rather than just this moment.
0: Um well tell us about tell us about the piece itself, what what you see when you walk onto the Third floor. Okay, so
1: I should mention I forgot to mention that we are in a circular building. We call mm-hmm. it a, a comic donut by um, architect uh, Gordon Bunshaft. The building opened in 1974 and is a fabulous example of brutalist architecture. So um, the inner circle gallery is on the third floor, where Mark's project is. It's be purposely situated on the third floor so it would be adjacent to our permanent collection because Mark is so interested in the history of painting and the history of abstraction. When you walk in, you are immediately struck. By um, these canvases, uh, they are roughly 15 feet tall. They go floor to ceiling, and they are uh, 40 to 45 feet long each. There are eight of them, and they are stapled directly to the wall, and they encompass the entire circumference of um, the inner circle galleries. And so each canvas is its own distinct composition. They are um, made of multiple layers of colored paper, fluorescent paper, and different kinds of material that the artist soaked in water and then kind of placed and mush just I guess would be the technical term, onto the <laughs> canvas. He then embedded different kinds of ropes, specifically climbing ropes, you know, um, on into the canvas, and then layered more paper in. And at the very top layer, for some of the um, canvases, he layered images of um, a painting made by Paul Dominique Filippoto uh, called Pickett's Charge. It is a cyclorama, which was um, the most popular entertainment spectacle of the 19th century. Uh, cycloramas were combined a very large uh, uh, encircling painting, roughly about 400 feet long and about 50 feet tall in the case of of the the Villapoto painting with a diorama in the center. And um, visitors would come up through the middle and have this kind of encompassing experience where the divide between the diorama and the painting would simply disappear. Um, Historians have talked about the cyclorama as being the moment of the shift from representation to illusion, you know, thinking about how we represent history. And so Mark used images of Philopoto's painting on that top layer of his canvases, and then he went to work. He began to pull the um, ropes out, and he began to dig into the very deep, several-inch-deep, thick um, accretion of materials. And so what you end up having is this really quite extraordinary juxtaposition of abstract textures and colors with fragments and images of um, Philopoto's cyclorama.
0: How much of the original image can you really discern when you're looking at it?
1: Uh, very little. Fragments, actually. Very small fragments. I think one of the most important things to understand is that um, Mark is not recreating the entire composition of the cyclorama. He's reusing bits and pieces of it. Um, the cyclorama, and in the case of Filippoto's painting, was really, as I said, considered this kind of shift from representation to illusion, and the next step was film, which then wiped out the cycloramas as a popular entertainment spectacle. And in Philip Hote's case, he was commissioned in 1883 to, com- um, to create a painting depicting Pickett's Charge, the um, culminating Confederate assault uh, at the Battle of Gettysburg. And Philip Poto was praised by critics in the 1880s for creating a painting that was so lifelike that supposedly veterans of the battle wept when they saw it. And so for Mark, he's he's not interested as much in the details of the battle as he is thinking about this idea of representing history that's so transparent that it makes people cry, that's so lifelike. So for him, he's asking questions about how history is made and how it's contested and who has the power to write history. So when you walk into the space, you see fragments of the battle, but unless you are a specialist in the Civil War, you may not be able to even identify anybody. It's very much this kind of collage of of abstraction and images and fragments and juxtapositions of uh, very bright colors that Mark used, the kind of these very, um, fluorescent papers with the more time-worn oranges and yellows and reds of um, the Filippotto paintings. So it very much is fragmentary. To go back to your original question, how much of that painting can you actually see? And and it's bits and pieces. And it's also interesting because Mark used um, fragments of different scales. So some of them, the figures might be six inches tall. And and there's one painting called Two Men where the two soldiers are several feet tall, just the kind of um, bust portraits of them are, are several feet tall so it's it's not about representing the battle of tickets charge it's more thinking about how history kind of comes together and is narrated
0: mm-hmm. you mentioned the colors and and even even the ropes which you said were climbing ropes are mm-hmm. brightly colored i mean the the effect is a pretty stunning um cacophony of color that, and and because of the monumentality. And again, I, I I haven't managed to be there in person, but the the book has these wonderful gatefolds that give you a sense for the the scope of these paintings. Um, it it um, it really demonstrates this balance, which is kind of exhilarating between a violence in the image. I mean, you can see lots and lots of places where the paper and the images have been torn and they're, they're, they're actually in tatters. Um, but it's also extremely beautiful.
1: Absolutely. You've gotten to the crux of the project. It's, you know, the juxtaposition of representation or figurative imagery and abstraction. I always talk about it as alluring beauty and kind of confrontational violence. Um, and I think that's part of Mark's process and i think he's what he's so wonderful about is kind of materially representing the messiness of history you know this idea that history is never so transparent that people cry about at an event you know it's just, that's just not possible that's, that's that's not how we talk about history that's not what history does and instead it's brutal it's violent it's contested it's really this material representation of Of how history comes together and is told, and again the kind of conflicts of history of telling history.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and one of the other uh, differences between, um, you know, having the opportunity to be at a cyclorama, which you can still do with the original Philip Otto, is um, is still at the Gettysburg. National Military Park um, an is an hour that, and a half away from an Washington. hour and a half away exactly <laughs> not far you could do both in the same day um, You could. is that you you stand in the middle and you see the you know you can turn and see the whole thing at once, but because of the way the the Hirshhorn building is constructed, you can't stand in the middle the middle is a a hole, so you can't see all of Bradford's canvases at the same time in this case.
1: Right. And I think it's that idea of kind of challenging this idea of an all-encompassing view that was so important to the cyclorama. You know, as soon as you walk into our our galleries, you not only see Mark's canvases, but you also see breaks in the architecture, um, doorways into other galleries, emergency exits. Um, And Mark, I think, purposely did not try to to efface or kind of disguise those because again it's not about this seamless representation of history it's about the kind of fits and starts of history of how we tell history and again it's less about an all-encompassing vision than all of the different perspectives and subjectivities that, that come together when we try to create historical narratives.
0: What, um, what insights have you managed to gain into how visitors to the exhibition are responding to it?
1: Um, I think one of the most amazing things about Mark's work is that there are so many different points of entry mm-hmm. um, you know um, people who are well versed in the contemporary art world know Mark and know why his work is so well regarded and and why he recently was chosen to represent the United States at the Venice Biennale last year, you know which is such an incredible honor so contemporary art enthusiasts come because they like Mark Bradford. Um, people who are interested in the Civil War which I would say are not normally the visitors to the Hirshhorn because mm-hmm. we're a modern contemporary art museum come because of their interest in the Battle of Gettysburg which was such an, an interest an important battle and it was kind of the pivotal point in the in the Civil War so they're interested in that and and they might be surprised by what they're seeing but there were people who are are, are fans of, of Gettysburg and the Cyclorama we had a I gave a tour recently to a group of patrons um, who support the Gettysburg National Military Park and um, it was very Interesting to see the kinds of questions they asked, um, and then there are the visitors um, who are at the Smithsonian and doing what I often call the crawl down the National Mall. When <laughs> mm-hmm. you know you go, from, you know you're in Washington on your school trip or your family trip, and you go from you know air and space to American history to natural history, and there's the Hirshhorn, and they come in and they might not be looking for something specific, but I think you know the power of Mark's art, and it's you know it's just so interesting visually. I mean, even if you don't understand at the first moment what the piece is about and, you know, the, what a cyclorama is and what the what Pickett's Charge was and why it's so important, why Marcus is, is, is so well regarded, I think there are points of entry just because it's so visually complex and compelling. You know, and it is encompassing as you walk through and, and just the monumental scale of it. And this idea that you can, it's an interesting piece, not just in its monumental scale when you see the whole sweep of it as in those gatefolds, but then when you get your nose as close as you can it's those really tiny minute pieces where the, the all the different pieces of paper come together or the rope is hanging off or you know the kind of choices that he made and so i think i think we've been really thrilled at, at all the different types, types of audiences who have been interested in the in the piece i mean it's just a testament to to the power of mark's art and how smart he is
0: yeah i've wondered you know looking at this piece in particular um because it is so huge and and you know there's representative imagery and then just wild color um if <laughs> as it was being constructed if there was any um p- potential for do over like if he he pulled a piece of paper and thought oh that was not how i intended that to look at all could it go back
1: Oh, uh, absolutely. Or he would just put more papers on and dig back in. Mm. Um, you know, the piece, the creation of the piece is really interesting. Mark has a very large studio in Los Angeles where he created the canvases and then they were shipped to the Hirschhorn and then um, installed uh, both by his team and our team. Um, you can imagine it was, it was quite an installation given mm. the weight and size of those pieces but Mark's process is very intuitive so when he brought the works on site and once we had them installed we gave we had set aside time for him to work then and so my sense is that it is not it is a intuitive um spontaneous process i mean he knows what he's doing and he has a vision but this thought that like i'm gonna tear off this and see what happens and um then i'm gonna move this over here and then i'm and i mean i think one of the things that was so fascinating is that it is both about digging deep into the layers of the painting and it's a metaphor of the layers of history i talk about it kind of an archaeology of the painting and an archaeology of history but at the same time it's it's also an additive process there's one um work in particular, which is called High Watermark, and you can see that process where he put the layers of paper and the ropes and then the images of Filippoto. But the whole piece is most most amazing because it's just got layer upon layer of other types of paper, many of which he pulled from other canvases. I mean, this kind of reuse of materials, not only non-art materials, but also Fragments and pieces of other canvases that he was making, so you can look at those ropes and you can see they've been pulled off of one painting and then glued onto another. So it's this wonderful kind of back and forth between a very thoughtful, um, careful practice of thinking about, you know, what are we doing here? What kind? Of, what are the messages and what are the questions that I want to ask with this project? And then a much more kind of intuitive, spontaneous. Practice working standing before the object. You know, it's not, this is not like painting a Van Eyck painting, you know, or, mm-hmm. a, a, you know, it, it, it's not about the detail and getting everything exactly right. It is, it is, it is much more intuitive and, and it's about the big picture and the small level, but it's not about things being in the right place, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's also a really interesting resonance in this piece, too. Not, not, you know, apart from the, um, the arguments about history and and reading history and representing history, but taking um, a, a work of art that was painting in you know the nineteenth century sense of the word, and then incorporating it into a Mark Bradford piece, and he I believe calls his work painting or, or sculptural painting, um, and just yeah. how very different those are.
1: Well, I mean, to answer the first question, Mark is responding to another artist, which artists have done for centuries. You know, they look to artists before them and they respond to them either critically or not critically, or as a way to ask other questions or to develop their own style. But in terms of Mark's interest in calling his work paintings, he is very specific about that. Um, I often call the works large-scale collage on canvas, if you want to get technical, because that's what they are. But Mark is very interested in the history of painting and the history of abstraction, and he's interested in inserting himself in that history. So that's why he talks about them as painting. When you think about a collage, at least I usually think about you know a very small work on on paper by schwitters or maybe a you know a piece of chair caning put into a painting by picasso and brock you're not talking about you know 400 square foot canvases when you think about collage it's about the kind of monumentality of painting and the and the tradition of, of artists and abstract artists in america in particular making very large scale paintings people like you know clifford still or jackson pollock making you know, in Barnett Newman making very large scale abstractions. And I think Mark, by calling his works paintings, is being very specifically saying, this is the tradition that I'm looking at, and this is the tradition that I'm going to put myself into. I expect to be at the end of that story. You know, mm-hmm. he sees himself at the end of that art historical narrative mm-hmm. and re- both challenging it but also admiring it. I mean, it's, I, we had lovely conversations about Clifford Still and other abstract artists. He's You know, he's looking at history and, and he has a real passion for that, for abstraction, but he wants to find a way to bring together his, his love and of, of abstract painting with his deep commission, commitment to social and political um, histories.
0: Um, have you had any conversations with him in the intervening months since the exhibition opened and, and get, gotten a sense for how he has responded to the reception?
1: No, I haven't talked to him that much. He's very busy and he's yeah, on to the yeah. next project. He's also very much on. He's the type of artist who's very much on to the next project. Um, I think for me what was most remarkable when he was here was seeing um, the piece for him to see the piece installed. We put most of the cam- we put the canvases on the wall with his team and he showed up to finish them. And I think for him he said he, he summarized this perfectly where he said the building completes the works. So that shift mm. from making the, making his paintings in a studio um, which is very large but has orthogonal walls and corners, and it was a very different experience to see those works, you know, on the wall on the curved walls of the Hirshhorn. No matter how much you use virtual reality or you know modeling technologies to t- to imagine or to to model how those works will look in the Hirschhorn's galleries, it's not until they're on the walls, especially with the materiality of Mark's work, that we knew what would happen. But um, I think he was pretty sure he knew he, he had knocked it out of the ballpark after he saw it on site.
0: He absolutely did. Um, and it's been lovely talking with you about it. Thank you again for taking the time.
1: Thank you. Um,
0: anyone who can should make their way to the Hershorn. The work will be up until November 12th, I believe. And the book, Mark Bradford Pickett's Charge, is available now in bookstores and online, including through the Yale University Press website. Thank you for listening, and please visit us online at yalebooks.com to keep up with this podcast series as well as the latest from our blog and our authors.